Thanks for listening to the podcast from River's Edge Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information or to gather with us on Sunday, visit our website at respokane.org. We hope this message is impactful for you and others as we pursue the way of Jesus together. As Matt mentioned last week, we're reading through the Bible together, we're studying it, uh, we're studying it actually in detail, and the story of God. And why are we doing this? We're doing this because we have a conviction that growing in our understanding of the world of God, of the Scriptures, of ourself as a Christian, is a key part of what it means to be a growing, maturing follower of Jesus. And we're doing it together as a family, followers of Jesus on mission together. It's really part of who we are here at River's Edge. And today we move into what I like to call the third act of this grand story of God. The movement of God to initiate a plan of redemption. And it's going to happen through a particular family. Actually, it's going to start through a particular man. And his name is Abraham. If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to pray while you do that. So Lord, we come before you this morning, we thank you for who you are, that you are not only a God who creates, but a God who looks back and says, no, that's not the way I want it to be. And so you put into place this plan of redemption, and it started through one man and one family, which became a people, and now we're part of that, part of that grand story. So today, as you, as you speak to us, Lord, through your word, open our eyes, our hearts, and especially our hands. Open them up, Lord, to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been moving in and out of the Bible. Actually, they're moving in and out, really, of just the first book of the Bible. Book of Genesis. First 11 chapters so far. But we've been weaving in and out of the narrative. I don't know if you noticed that. We've been weaving in and out and, and up and down through the beginning of God's story. In some weeks, it was big stories that took center stage. And there was big stories that needed to be told about creation and about what happened in Genesis chapters 3 through 11. But some weeks it was these small individual stories, one person, one act, one, one actually response to something that was said to someone that wasn't quite the way it was supposed to be. And I think that whole concept of big story, little story, of looking at things from the grand view and then kind of zeroing in on these small stories is a good way to look at Scripture. If we're going to pull up from time to time to this kind of 30,000 foot view, it gives us a different view of what God's plan is than if we're right in the middle of the action of one person or one family or one event that took place in the story, the story of God, the story of God's people. And so that's really what we're going to enter into again today. I think it's helpful, some of you have heard the term meta-narrative, I think it's helpful to kind of look at the Bible in kind of four big blocks or four big groups. The first one is creation. Genesis 1 and 2. Matt spent, I don't know, eight weeks or so. We talked about creation. We, talked, we weaved in and out of creation. We talked about the effects of creation. We talked about what the responsibilities are for creation. And so that was part of the story. It was kind of the first big story, the creation narrative. What it does, it begins to provide answers to the questions, some of the basic questions of life. Who are we? Where are we? 
Why are we here? What is this universe we find ourselves in? Where did it come from? Why does it exist? Why are we a part of it? Why are you a part of it? Where is it going? And then we looked at what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be part of this creation called humanity? Male and female, it said, that God created them. These fundamental questions have been asked by humanity throughout its existence. Does human life have value? Does it have meaning? Does it have purpose? And I want to say this morning, the answer is yes, yes, and yes. That's God's answer. But these questions have been answered. Humanity, whether secular philosophers throughout the ages or theologians of the church through the ages, have answered these questions. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle of the ancient Greeks, to the early church and Augustine, into the Reformation, and Luther and Calvin, on into Wesley, and even today. People want answers to those questions. That's what these big stories answer for us. That's what these big stories tell us. They don't tell us how to use a microphone properly, but they definitely tell us what God's intention was for creation. Genesis 1 and 2, if we zero in on creation, tell us we are created in God's image. Each one of us is an image bearer of God, to have created to have dominion, to be caretakers of God's creation, and in other words, to rule and reign with God. Those were words that we talked about, the ruling and the reigning that we are called to do as His created people. Distinctive answers the Bible gives to these basic questions have profound implications for our understanding of our mission and purpose in the world, our world and God's world as image bearers of God. So that was creation. That was the first big block. And then the second block, the fall. And tragedy strikes. And deception and disobedience and rebellion enter the picture. Humanity is infected through Adam and Eve. Sin enters the picture. And the human race begins its sometimes slow, other times rapid decline, decaying into the shadows and dim images of their intended selves, the way God intended for them to be, the way God intended for each one of us to be. And evil and sin weave their way into every aspect and dimension of human existence and life on earth. Pretty bleak. Theologians call this condition of sin depravity. And and really, if we look at it individually, physically, we're subject to decay and illness, and death. I'm still getting over a cold. Some of you have been sick this week. Some of you have faced even bigger illnesses during this year. Living out our lives in a cursed environment. Socially, we're fractured and broken. And every human relationship is tainted with sin. Sexuality is warped and perverted. Families are broken. Relationships selfish and twisted at times. That's the effects of the fall. And even our intellect, we use it to rationalize our decisions. We use it to excuse these incredibly destructive decisions that we make. And in futile attempts, all the while, to normalize evil actions. To make what we're doing justified in our own minds. But as Matt shared last week, humanity... Even in Genesis, 
is going through the same battle. And humanity discovers this thing that Matt called technology. What was it? Anybody? It was a brick, right? It was a brick. I mean, if you think about it, the brick really was technology at that time. If you were building a wall out of round stones, how much easier would it be to make a wall out of a uniform product that you could put tar in between? It would be faster, it would be stronger. That was technology. And suddenly they became once again kind of wise in their own minds. And suddenly the words that were whispered in the garden resonate in their minds. Like they resonate in our minds. You can be like God. Maybe it's not the brick. Maybe it's the microchip. Maybe it's not the brick. Maybe it's a website that you've created. Whatever it is, the same words resonating over and over and over again. Did God really say? Because you can be like God. So spiritually, humanity is alienated, separated from God. And we lose sight of the reality that we are like God, created as image bearers of God in the beginning, called to rule and reign with God in creation. And that's what Matt talked about last week. He talked about it in Genesis chapter 11. And you know the story, the people move eastward and they settle in and they find this technology and they say, come and let us make bricks. And they use these bricks instead of stone and suddenly they say, we can build a tower that will reach up to the heavens. All the way up to the heavens. And the Lord looks down and He said, man, they're at it again. They're at it again. And so it says, the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth and they stopped building the city. And that's why it's called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. And that's really the end of the story. There's a little bit more at the end of Genesis chapter 11, kind of setting up some, some uh, genealogies and different things. But once again, humanity finds itself sinful at every level. Fractured, broken relationally, now confused and scattered across the world. And community is placed with disunity. And now existing and broken and alone, they're wandering, not knowing who they are, not having any of the answers to the questions that God intended for them. So what will happen? What needs to happen? Enter Act 3. God's redemption. That's where we find ourselves today. The big story. Once again, God acts, this time to redeem His creation. Humanity is set apart and humanity is set once again on a course for the purpose that they were created. And God begins this act in a most unlikely way, through one man and his family, Abraham. And through the simple act of faith, Abraham says yes to God, giving us the opportunity to also say yes to God. And if you're looking at the big four pictures after redemption, you get this section at the end called restoration or new creation 
which begins with Jesus and then builds up to a climax until the last two chapters of Revelation chapter 21 and 22. And believe it or not, sometime next fall, we're going to be going through Revelation together. And we're going to actually complete this story that we've started and been weaving our way up and down and in and out of. And we're going to see a new heaven and a new earth, and meaning that the universe is going to be remade once again with God at the center of it, with His created image bearers surrounding Him and in this state of worship. But what I want to do today for the next moments that I have is I want us to zero in a little bit on Genesis chapter 12. This plan that God has, God's plan for redemption. So turn with me, if you haven't already, to Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to read the first three verses. That's where we're going to kind of spend some time. The first three verses of Genesis chapter 12 say this, The Lord had said to Abram, that was his name before he was Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Pretty profound statement. God acting on behalf of His creation, His created image bearers, to bring them back into relationship with Him. And what we do, what we see in these verses is the beginning of God's promise of redemption. This is where God starts this whole cavalcade towards Jesus and the cross. This is the beginning of our redemptive story. The first seeds, so to speak, of how we're going to come back into relationship with God the Creator through His Son, Jesus Christ. I want us to have a little bit of a definition of, re of redemption as we work through this passage this morning too. And, and this is one definition that I like. The definition of redemption is this. The saving work of God viewed as an act of buying back sinners out of their bondage to sin and to Satan through the payment of a ransom. This redemptive work of God is most clearly seen through Christ's saving work at the cross. That's kind of the baseline for what we're going to look at, even in some of the future sections as we, as we look at God's plan. And what God's plan does, God's plan of redemption does, is it addresses both the issue of sin and the loss of community, if you notice that. The faith of Abraham was the means through which all nations on earth would be blessed. God's redemptive work was initiated through Abraham to deal specifically with the problem of humanity, the problem that humanity had, the problem that we had, namely sin and division, right? He had scattered them because they were evil. And through the people of God, he's going to do this through the people of God called Israel the family of Abraham, which we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead. We're going to talk about how God looks down in His grace and mercy and continually provides the means by which His, his uh, chosen people can kind of move forward in His plan. So redemption is initiated through Abraham and his descendants, his family. Redemption is consummated, though, through Jesus Christ. Redemption is consummated through Christ. Because of Christ's birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection, we, 
All of us here this morning, all of us are actually adopted into Abraham's family. We're adopted into Abraham's family, and we have that same blessed to be blessed, blessed to be a blessing mission. Did you notice that in the section? That I will bless you and you will bless others? There was a purpose behind the blessing. The purpose behind the blessing was that all of the nations on the earth would be blessed. See, we're a family, and that includes each one of you who's part of God's family, part of River's Edge, part of the church in, as a whole. It's part of it, kind of continuing that blessing. We're a family specifically called to bless the world. That's the pattern in Genesis 12. I will bless you, and you in turn will be a blessing. So that's what it means to, I will bless those who bless you, God says. You will be a blessing. So, the people of God are a means through which God is blessing the world. As the people of God, we stand at the interface between creator and creation. And we draw together the healing and redemption between God and the world. This is what it means when we talk about the language of mission. I loved what Karsh had to say this morning in our prayer time before the service. He got this. He had this picture of, of, of using a, a specific set of lens so that we would see how we're part of this redemptive plan that God has. And as he was speaking that out, I was, I was thinking to myself, not only that, but that we would see that we are the lens. We are the lens through which the world will see the redemptive plan of God. Each one of you is the lens through which your neighbor or your sister or your mother or the person that you work with is going to see Jesus, is going to respond to the good news of the gospel at some point. You're the lens. Redemption is initiated through Abraham and his descendants, but it is consummated through Christ. And we are part of that story. This is the language of mission. What we mean by mission is that as the people of God, we have a mission, we have a purpose, we have a task, we have a calling that we are to respond to. We are called by God to bless the world. This is essentially the story of the Bible, I think, from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It's God's plan to redeem His creation. God's plan to put the world back together once again as He intended it to be. First through Abraham, then Israel, all the way to Jesus, who N.T. Wright calls Jesus the true Israel. So redemption and restoration begin for us through Jesus. First step. So here you are this morning, quarter till 11, you're thinking, ah, Abraham, he's an old dude. I don't know, 4,000 years ago or so? What's that got to do with me? I mean, really, what's that got to do with me? I, I would be sitting there thinking the same thing. I don't know Abraham from the guy riding a donkey down the street right now. Don't see too many of those in Spokane, but, you know, maybe out in Cheney or someplace. Well, maybe, maybe you're wondering, though. Maybe you're just thinking, what's it all got to do with me? I mean, it's an ancient story. Well, I think if we look at the story from this kind of grand view, from this big block picture a couple things emerge. The first is, God wants to bring healing and restoration to all of his creation. 
wants to heal and restore his creation. The story doesn't end with all of heaven singing this song of amazing grace for all eternity, thank the Lord. Right? I, 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 don't, I just want to fall down and worship and be in the presence of the Almighty God. Where the story ends is in a city here on earth. New heavens and new earth. And this city that's actually spoken about in the New Testament, this vision that John gets. There's this opportunity that we're going to have to be with Jesus back in the way it was intended to be. The way God created the earth for us to rule and reign over with Him. It's the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And so the mission of God is universal in scope for sure. And that means that all of life comes under the definition of mission. That's why it's so important that we get this. It's so important that we understand that whatever we do, whether it's your work or your job, whether it's what you do uh, in your neighborhood every single day, with your children, the conversations that you have, everywhere you find yourself, in the arts or medicine or politics or science or technology or whatever it is, especially for you who are in in uh, university right now. You're just starting out on your journey. But wherever you find yourself and whatever your hands find to do, all of that falls under the definition of the mission of God. And you were called to mission. You were called to bless the people. God will in turn bless you because He has already through Jesus Christ. The second thing that emerges is the way God wants to bring healing and restoration to all of creation, and that's through His people, through you. And we need to get that. We need to really get that. And that's why I'm hammering at home a little bit here. That no matter where you are, no matter what you do, no matter who you come in contact with, you are representing to the world, you are representing God Himself. You are an image bearer of God, created in His image. You're representing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to every person that comes in contact with you. And that's what it means, I think, to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. And if we follow this narrative line from Abraham through Israel to Jesus and now the church, nothing has changed. That's the point of the church. It's the point of why we gather here today. Why we have this place called River's Edge. Not a, it's, not, it's not bricks and stones. It's not wood and windows. It's the gathering of God's people on a mission together to bless the whole world. That's why our kind of mission statement, if you want to call it that, is in Spokane as it is in heaven. The point of River's Edge is for God to bring blessing and hope to the neighborhoods and communities in which we live and work. And it's not going to happen unless you are doing that. In other words, we hope to be a blessing and for God to bring blessing through His people. Right here. All of you, I could name your names right now. That's what God has created you for. It's why God has called us together to do. Chris Wright, in his book, on The Mission of God, says it this way, it's not so much the case that God has a mission for His church in the world, as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Mission was not made for church, the church was made for mission, God's redemptive mission. That's what we're on together. 
There's this interesting story that's told in Luke chapter 24 that I think illustrates this. Some of you know it as the walk to Emmaus. So these two guys, one of them's named Cleopas, one of them's his friend, they're walking to Emmaus, which was their hometown, maybe eight miles or so away. About as far as Cheney, probably. A lot of donkeys over there, sorry. But they're walking and suddenly it says Jesus appeared. He said, well, what are you talking about? And they're dumbfounded. Are you the only one who hasn't heard? Have you not heard what's going on? What just took place? I mean, they've been following Jesus. They've been, they've been you know, part of his larger group of disciples. So clearly, they know what's going on and they're pretty sad. In fact, it said their faces were downcast. And Jesus, in response, said, what things? Oh, yeah, probably a good thing to use when someone's asking you, when you ask someone, how is your day going? They said, oh, just a lot of stuff going on. Maybe just respond like Jesus did. Oh, what stuff? Right? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, he was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. They go on to tell the story of the crucifixion. They don't even know he's been resurrected at this point. It said some of our companions went to the tomb and found that Jesus was gone. They didn't find his body. We don't know what happened. We don't know where he is. We don't know what to do. We're just going to walk back to our house. We're just going to walk along the road to Emmaus and hold our heads down. And Jesus responds in kind of a peculiar way. He said, well, that's a pretty foolish way to look at that. He said, how slow are you to believe all that the prophets have spoken? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, which we start in about three weeks or so, going through the prophets. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you love to have a conversation, of, uh, a record of that conversation? And so they are sitting there and they are just kind of overwhelmed. I think they're probably kind of dumbfounded, sitting there, shocked. And Jesus says, you know, I'm kind of hungry. You got anything to eat? (laughs) They say, come on, come on, come on, come to our house. We'll feed you. We got stuff. He gets there and it was interesting that as they broke the bread, suddenly their eyes were opened to who he was. And then he was gone. And the reason I told this story is this. It says that at the end of that, it says they got up, their response to this, their response to walking with Jesus and being in the presence of Jesus and sharing a meal with Jesus was to get up and to go at once to Jerusalem. And there it says they found the 11, the disciples, and and, and those with them assembled together. And they said this, they said, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then these words, and oftentimes they get overlooked. It says, Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. See, they they responded by telling people about Jesus. They shared with the people that were next to them, that the people that they were coming into contact with, who Jesus was, why he came, and what he came to do. 
And what Jesus was doing, I think, is calling them back to center. Calling them back to the mission of God. The mission that they were created for. And Jesus' words still ring true for us. Don't let your life drift away. Don't wander along the road. You were created to bless others. You were created on, you were, you were set on a mission to bless the world. You are a family called to bless the world. So what does that look like? Impracticality. Zero in on a couple things and then we'll kind of close this morning out. What does it look like to live out this calling as the people of God? These are tangible things that I hope you'll walk away with this morning. First thing is this. We need to understand and own our calling, our individual calling as redeemed people called to live redemptive lives. Understand it and own it. There's a lot of things we can understand. Owning it is different. This is boots on the, boots on the ground stuff. Jesus, we need to understand. In other words, our goal is to be with Jesus, live like Jesus, carry on the work that Jesus had in the world. That's what we mean by being a disciple. That's why we spend so much time talking about discipleship and training people in discipleship. What it means to live, love, think, learn, and lead like Jesus. Why do we do that? Why do we want to live a, redempt, a redeemed life, redemptive living in a redeemed way? Well, so people can see Jesus. It's the set of lens that people will see God through us. Living that life the way God intended it to be lived. And in the act of doing that, we're telling the story. We're telling the story of God. And, and there's, a, there's a, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association used to talk about three-story living. There's God's story, there's your story, and then there's the person's story you're talking to. And how we weave those together by the work of the Holy Spirit is how people start to see their part in the story of God. They start to see that, you know that relationship that went south a couple years ago? It wasn't as bad as I thought, and you know what? God redeemed me through that or from that. The addictions that plague us from time to time. Part of our redemptive living through the grace of God. So that the mission of God can actually be fulfilled through us. The mission of God to redeem His creation begins to be worked out through our lives and into other people's lives. So that's the first thing. And then I think the second thing we need to answer, each one of us, each one of you, need to answer the question of why we're here. What is our purpose? And just like the end of the book of Luke, and those two disciples on the way to Emmaus, who, who turned around and raced back to Jerusalem, they all of a sudden saw what their purpose was. was to tell people about Jesus. He's alive, he appeared to us, and then it says, and they went and told the story. And every one of you here this morning has a story. Every one of you here this morning has a story of redemption. And your story is the perfect story that God is going to use to change someone's life. To move them into the idea that they are part of the same story, that they're part of this redemptive work of God. See, that's what it means to be a part of this whole redemptive, restorative process. 
And restoration says that's our purpose, to join in this mission of God. Why? Well, because the mission of, the, the mission of God has a church. The mission of God has a people. It's you. It's all of you. And we're called to tell this story. And we need to tell the full story of creation and the fall and redemption and the new creation that's going to come. Once again, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, said it this way. He said, an essential part of our theological and missional task today is to tell this story as clearly as possible and to allow it to subvert other ways of telling the story of the world. Or as Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Tell the good news. Because there's all sorts of stories coming at you every single day. And they're subversive to the story of God. Our, our, our responsibility is to tell the right story and to be a part of that redemptive story. That's what it means to actually have to speak out the good news, to tell people why your life has changed. Tell people what God has done. Tell people how you overcame depression. Tell people how the fear that used to plague you when you stood up in front of people and had to talk, God was there with you. Tell people what it means to go back to your home and have a conversation with a mother or a father who you've had a broken relationship for years, and yet you know that God is calling you to do that, and He is with you as you are there in that conversation. You just have to go and tell. What could we accomplish in the mission of God if we simply live such good lives among our neighbors? Being with people so that people can be with Jesus, so people can see the gospel in action. See the gospel lived out through everyday lives of ordinary people who love Jesus and follow Jesus and are part of his plan. That's what a missional community is. In fact, it's the end of our gathering today, we're going to have a little bit of a conversation about missional community. It's a community of people on mission together. Community that regularly eats and drinks, just like Jesus did with those two men on the road to Emmaus. And sometimes inviting people in in need of redemption and in need of restoration, like we all are, have been, will be. So I just want to encourage you with these final words. Live a redeemed life. Tell the redemptive story of Jesus. And serve and talk to and be an inviter of people who need to hear the story of God and to be welcomed into His loving arms. Because remember, it's not so much that the case that God has a mission for His church in the world as that God has a church for His mission in the world. Because mission was not made for church, the church was made for mission, God's mission. And that's our mission here at River's Edge. Let's pray. Lord, we, we come before you this morning and um, as we've kind of stepped into this third act of your grand story, the story of your redemption, the story that was, that was initiated through 
this man called Abram who became Abraham and who became the father of many nations, Lord. Help us to see our part in that family. Help us to respond if we need to, to your invitation to live redeemed lives and to really step into the the welcoming of the Holy Spirit to empower us and to give us the strength to, to go through what life looks like for each one of us. Give us boldness, Lord, to tell stories to people about you, maybe who we don't even know. Standing in the, the, the checkout line at the grocery store. I, every time someone asks me, who, how's your day going? Is an opportunity to say, it's great because I know Jesus. But it happens to have boldness that way. With our children, with our friends, with our parents, with our 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 university professors, wherever we find ourselves. Mostly, Lord, help us to respond to what you've called us to do and who you've called us to be. People of God, living redeemed lives, moving through towards restoration until we can be with you again. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.